The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. What's your shirt, the appendix? <laughs> oh, there used to be an art website for <laughs> students. And I think, it, I mean, it's still there, but I don't think anybody's Wait, posted. Wait, didn't they revive it this year? I went to a meeting that we're going to get it started up again. That would be good. I remember reading something about that. Might be back in business. I that would be good. I mean, it's a, it was a great idea, and and I think students have really great ideas. But unfortunately, when they leave, they have to find somebody to you know take over that idea, and it doesn't always it doesn't always happen the way they want it to. Yes, that requires yeah. knowing people, knowing yes, <laughs> and having friends. But also, like people, sometimes you know, well-meaning people say they want to take over a project, and then life gets that's fair. To yes. I don't know. Learn to say no to things. But also say yes. (laughs) So you don't miss miss out. You have great solutions to these problems, Faith. That's why you're on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Critical thinker. Say no to all the things and yes to all the things. Yes. The perfect advice. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Shortcoat Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It happens to be a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler with me in the SCP studio, some cultural icons of medical school. She wakes up every morning feeling like P. Diddy. It's P.A. 2 Faith Anton. That's true. Dang straight. She's a grown woman. She can do whatever she wants. It's M2 Olivia Jenks. Can I? (laughs) This girl, yes. This girl is on fire. It's M4 Sarah Costello. Sure it's not Alicia Keys? Hey. Start singing. My camera's not aimed right. (laughs) That doesn't, that's not, how that there. Okay. That's better. This is a high quality production. <laughs> and what a man. What a mighty good man. It's M2 Trent Gilbert. Hey everyone. <laughs> do we do, do you know what the theme of the introductions today are is? Oh. Superheroes. No. It's music. It's Oh. Lines from, I even like alluded to that with yes. the Alicia Keys bit. Okay, yes, got it, got exactly. it, got it. Exactly. You were you were Kesha, I think. Oh. You were a Kesha song. I like Kesha. I think you were Beyonce, Olivia. Yes. And Sarah was Alicia Keys. Oh, nice. And you were either an old a '60s band or the '60s girl group, or <laughs> from the '90s, Soul to Soul. Yeah, the, the last times people said "What a man," you know, repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what are you? What's your theme song? I didn't. What do you think? You have to tell me. Oh gosh! No, I the, the first thing that came to my mind. You're gonna hate. Oh, <laughs> excellent! I'm a loser. The Beatles. Oh okay. <laughs> no! The Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles had a song. I'm a loser. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a walrus. So. Cuckoo kachoo. Cuckoo kachoo. <laughs> Okay, well, we're not going to delve too closely into that uh, idea, but, uh, you know, okay. 
I don't subscribe to that belief, but that was the first thing. It's a little hard to believe at this head. point. It's a little hard to believe at this point, but you know, I mean, I'll... you know, <laughs> we did confirm a few shows back that you are among the top 10 most influential people. That is, this yes. is true. It's big news. The <laughs> other big news that I wanted to talk about this week is in psychiatry recently has been the discovery that for some small number of people, schizophrenia is an autoimmune process or at least can mimic schizophrenia and can be reversed by treating that. Did you guys read about this? Yeah. yeah. I was, as a layperson, sort of stunned by this idea that, you know, so this particular patient over 20 years ago, April Burrell, was diagnosed with sudden onset severe schizophrenia after a traumatic event. I don't know what that event is. And she's been institutionalized ever since, catatonic, unaware, unblinking. And her recovery was thanks to a team of doctors, among whom was a man who, as a medical student, had met April when she was first diagnosed all those years ago. And then their second encounter, just by happenstance, surprised him because she had made no progress in 20 years despite treatment for her mental illness in the usual ways, which I imagine involve medication, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I guess he expected to see some difference. So he assembled a, or he and others assembled a team of 70 researchers around the world, and they found large amounts of antibodies attacking her body and damaging her temporal lobes. And... Thus, they discovered in 2018 that she had lupus. And after months of treatment, she woke up and was conversing and being fairly normal. I imagine for somebody who was catatonic for 20 years, there were some differences to be had. But it's remarkable that she woke up. And then she, and this touched off a search in New York State for more patients like her. So far in that state, researchers have discovered about 200 people with autoimmune diseases and who might respond to treatment of their autoimmune diseases. I can see Olivia chomping on at the bit here. She was a psych major. <laughs> Do you have something to say, Olivia? Yeah. Oh, this just like is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that we have a subset of patients that we might be able to not only treat, but like potentially cure and give them their lives back. In For one of the most difficult to treat mental illnesses. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty stunning. And I think the article said it was not just schizophrenic patients, but also patients who have schizoaffective disorder, mm-hmm. which is schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Okay. So I suppose it's like similar. But Yeah, I think it is that she had antibodies targeting her temporal lobes. Yeah. And yeah. I think that can manifest in a variety of symptoms. But yeah, I think it, my impression, it seems as though it's a very small percent of people with neurodegenerative disorders that you can clearly identify like an immune cause. But for the ones where you can, I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential for help there. I just, I can't imagine being the family member or that person themselves and just one day coming to and being like, I don't know, that would be such a shock to me. Sarah? I have a question. <laughs> So, and maybe it's like this I, I in the details of the paper. I potentially have an uninformed answer. <laughs> so, do you know what percentage 
that the 200 people that they've discovered not a clue are male and female <laughs> oh no because oh, what stood to me reading the article was that this was a female and i think there was another female that yeah. was mentioned and historically females with autoimmune diseases and psychiatric diseases have been underdiagnosed mm-hmm. sort of in that context it wasn't overly surprising and i guess i wonder how many other like what the proportion of Underdiagnosed with, with or misdiagnosed, autoimmune, or misdiagnosed yeah. because of autoimmune diseases. Interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to look at a diagnose, diagnostic history of autoimmune diseases. And I've heard things in the past about like like the gender balance of diagnoses. I don't remember enough to make any real comment about it, but I, I do vaguely remember for some of these diagnoses, like there, there is more of like a noticeable disparity in I think how it's diagnosed. And yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. Not surprising. It's been 137 years since Sigmund Freud set up private practice in Vienna. We we don't stand Sigmund Freud. No, we don't. But, I mean, look, like most doctors back then, he was doing his best. He didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He was a weirdo. Yeah. Definitely um, spearheaded some things, and we've since figured out that he was quite wrong. Right. And correct about several. But my point is we yeah. still know so little about the human body and brain i don't i mean especially about this particular about i feel like psychiatry in general is has come a long way but also has so much further to go and so i wanted to just sort of talk about that idea and how medicine understands really i don't know metaphysical concepts like self-awareness and consciousness Boy, we did say we were getting philosophical. (laughs) Brains trying to understand brains. Yeah. Bring it. Yes. Love. Okay. Okay. So I'll talk a little bit about what some of the stuff that we talked about in my undergrad, and then we can share a little bit more about like medical school and like CIPLA and the wonderful things that the educators do here. We love CIPLA. Has he been a co-host before? Have you been on the show? Yeah. We had a really trippy, we had a really trippy discussion with CIPLA. Roseanne Cash was on the show. Uh, I don't know if you know Roseanne Cash, daughter of Johnny Cash, country singer, country star. No Holy kidding. Yeah, the Did Ro- he know her back from his rock and roll days or something like that out in California? <laughs> that, <sound> about that. <laughs> that would be a very That would thing. sort of be unsurprising. But yeah. no, he was a big fan of Johnny oh. Cash. And just, I invited him to be on the show because she was on the show to talk about her experience with Chiari Type 2 oh, cool. malformation. And she had come to campus to participate in this conversation about this disease. And I don't, I think it was a hookup between, it was a hookup facilitated by Hancher because she was here for a show. And anyway, it was such a really interesting discussion, especially with Sipla, because he did the thing where he likes, he he got all metaphysical and he's like, just the brain is, all it does is interpret (laughs) the vibrations of the universe and we're all hallucinating reality. Right. Like, who's to say what reality actually is? We just share a similar hallucination. Yeah. <laughs> really enjoyed that show. Yeah. Which was a while back. I don't remember what show it was. A couple, few years ago. Go listen to it. It's good. I'm going to search it. Okay. So, the best analogy I ever heard was in college. And basically, I think it was one of my professors. Basically, what she said was like, we have a lot of questions about the brain, right? And there's some we can answer and there's some we can't. The biggest question is how we get this, all of this in front of us. Like, what is human experience? And no one 
has touched the big question, but lots of people can touch the smaller questions. You know, how do we go from touching something, you know, touching my foot and then feeling it in both my finger and my foot? How do I like get from moving, you know, get from brain to like moving my hand or talking or swallowing or things like that? We can answer small questions, but no one has the answer to the big question. And so I thought that was like probably the best way to explain it. Yeah, I remember reading that, you know, even making a decision, there's question, there, there is some question as to, you know, whether the decision is actually made by you or whether it's already been made and somehow, like, can you explain? Oh, the classic free will. Yeah. Free will determinism you question. You see brainwaves like eight milliseconds before somebody has actually made a decision that they're aware of and indicative that they've already made the decision without having been aware of it. Yes. yes. Yeah. No. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. I, that I, blows like, my mind. Like eight years ago, I got roped into this series of free will debates for the, sponsored by some foundation. And yeah. That was entirely one side, the side that didn't have to talk about free will. You just heard endlessly about this study. And, and is it real? Think, is it true? Real. The free will debate to me is just so frustrating because like, okay, let's say your brain is making the decision before you're consciously aware of it. Like, isn't that just how the brain works? Yeah, like, but that's the point. The, what you end up just debating about is what the... You're not debating about if you have free will. You're just debating about what is free will, you know? like And what is you? Like, like is you the meat sack plus free, the brain? Free will is, like, what you, you get to decide that it is. Yeah, like, is the brain your, like, is you your brain, you know? Are, or does it you, include well, your, your, your brain spirit, conscience? Or? Like, yeah. is it, what is it? Yeah. I don't know. It's like body and brain <laughs> kind of have to exist together because your body is how you interact with the world. So your brain knows what to piece together to make sense of the world. So I don't think you just have like a floating orb like in Harry Potter, the big tank of brains. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We yeah. could all be living in the Matrix. No, no one would know. Yeah. Or it's like interstellar, you know, like where you have a, oh gosh, was that a fifth dimension or like some the sort of time? dimensional beings. Yes, yeah. that were like he's in two places at once in different periods in his life and then he's like interacting with his self in like, I think it's like dust. I don't even know. Yeah, and then you get into the whole... Best movie. The whole... Dis yeah, so now you're getting into the whole discussion of what is time and space. Oh, oh gosh. We is, don't have time for this. Is time a purely a mental construct? Is it... Does it really... Does, is time really linear? Like all that crazy stuff. Like what are our brains doing to construct our reality? Electrons going places. Yeah. <laughs> I just. Ion channels. Yeah. I think like in order to survive, like as humans have evolved from wherever we started, like we needed to come up with a frame in which to live our lives. And time gave us a way to measure like oh i need to plant these things now so i can have food oh this is when the deer come out and i should go hunting then or yeah. you know like survivalness so i feel like it was at a survival basis if, if, of you, if you ever it. want to be confused about time just watch like a five minute video about like relativity and like super relativity it'll very quickly make you frustrated and no longer interested in thinking about time this dovetails with a habit i have 
So we were talking before the show, Faith, about how I have shitty sleep. And one of the ways I combat this is to listen to Professor Russell Standard from the UK. And he has apparently had a series of some sort on television or maybe a web series. I don't know. It looks, it looks television-y to me. And I found him through this YouTube channel called Unintentional ASMR. Mm. And the reason I bring this up is because he talks about all of this stuff and it, for basically like an hour explaining time and space and consciousness and what we know and what we don't know. And that's why when I... Super relaxing and not stuff that's going to get your brain just going before you turn it's, But the way, it's, the way he talks about it is so relaxing. Mm. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson. So calming. Oh, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson. And it's like nice and slow, nice and calm, nice and relaxed. Puts me to sleep. I don't know that I've learned anything. That's because, okay. Well, you know how like, like, I don't know. Have you ever heard like people like, oh, I'm going to listen to this while I sleep and That's I will fair. learn. Oh, I don't think that your works. Your brain like shuts no. down. I forget it, like what level, but like your oh, process. It absolutely shuts do down. Learn, yeah. yeah. I, I can tell because I will. I, sometimes I will sort of come back where like I will wake up a little bit and hear him and realize that I haven't heard a damn thing. You've been hypnotized. I've, I, utterly. Anyway, he talks a lot about this. So I maybe in some sense I've been primed to really think about this or, story in a different, in a way that, you know, in this specific way. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe you have learned something. It's just like in a part of your subconscious that yeah. you haven't yet learned how to access that's what oh, I mean. Yeah. So my yeah. mom does hypnotherapy and that's how she does the she gets people all relaxed into that state of mind where they're almost asleep and then tell some stuff like you need mm. to quit smoking or like yeah. and it works. So maybe it's yeah, it's gotta be in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere, maybe. I'll take that. Anyway, highly recommended. Maybe I'll post a link it to the show notes. If you have trouble you sleeping, go listen to this guy. Not a sponsor. Russell Standard. Russell it? Standard. S-T-A-N-N-A-R-D. Oh, okay. he, he was a high energy physics professor at, I think, the Large Hadron Collider or something like that. So he's, I mean, he's not fooling nice. around. He's not messing around. Alternatively, you could subscribe to the short coat and <laughs> listen to the short coat. Now, once again, <laughs> once again, Olivia, I've been called a loser and boring. <laughs> I was kidding. No. <laughs> listen to interesting things while I fall asleep because if it's not oh. interesting then I hate it that and sounds, I can't fall asleep. That sounds very much like something I could have predicted for you. Yeah. I have to listen to something interesting. Okay. Not boring. I actually thought of a song for you like Journey or something like Don't Stop Believing. Okay. There you go. Just like stand up and just you're just going for it. Who can't who doesn't sing Journey at the top of there their you lungs? Go. Yeah. Except you're not a small town girl yeah. living in a lonely <laughs> world. <laughs> I'm a small town boy. Yeah. Anyway, I just I'm also fascinated by the idea that there's still so much more to learn. There's still much more that we need to know. You know, psychiatry came up with the diagnosis of schizophrenia, which we, you know, obviously we still don't know a lot about it. We know that this one kind of case might be more common than we ever thought it just made me think psychiatry is in its infancy and neurology too neurology most yeah. things in medicine are aren't they not that's why we're in it to learn we like the lifelong learning aspect 
I did want to say, though, it's interesting with like this cognitive and autoimmune interaction that we learned it was Helpman or someone, I don't know, second this past semester. But a lot of autoimmune conditions, people see those pop up like once you cross a certain tolerance threshold and it's different between people and this woman in the article she experienced trauma and that would probably be unimaginable stress probably something that triggered yeah like the antibodies to for some reason attack where they did in her brain and that makes which is amazing which is amazing in and of itself because you think of like things that happen to you as sort of external events that like how could they affect your immune system it's reminding I, 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 I don't think you're talking about exactly the same thing but it reminds me of like what we've been taught about like type 1 diabetes mm. and how they know there's like an immune role and usually they think there's like some kind of precipitating illness but what determines whether the illness kicks it off or not I don't think they know well and things like pandas too right so pandas Pan- is oh they're talking about the animal no, I was no. like what do pandas have Me to do with this but I, I was sure ready to go with it I was so excited to hear about pandas no oh sorry well I'm still excited it's just another disorder do you know more about pandas than I do is that the, the one that's the reaction to strep infection yeah so basically like what I know about it is that basically people will get a strep infection as a child mm-hmm. and then develop what amounts to ADHD and some other like oh. psych disorders directly related to having had like the infection which is that's pretty, pretty insane wild, yeah and terrifying yeah and then i feel like i because i had a lot of strip do you know what else i have <laughs> <laughs> is that true yes <laughs> we did do co- toxicology year in labs today i'm just kidding it didn't actually run my sample <laughs> And then there's something about... Oh, it's OCD. OCD, okay. Oh. Pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcal infections. <laughs> Acronyms, man. Woo! And make it cute and cuddly. I'm just, you know, like, I'm, I guess I'm just wondering, like, will psychiatry and neurology just one day become one discipline? Uh, yeah. There's already neuropsychiatry. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're definitely going to see more and more specific diagnoses as they, I think, better understand what individuals have. And like what we're calling and schizophrenia yeah. is probably just huge chunk of different diseases that are manifesting with similar symptoms. And we're lumping them together because, you know, currently the best treatments that we have, you know, the, most, the mainline tre- treatments are all the same for those people. But do they all have the same disease, the same underlying disease. Most certainly not. What, what I think's interesting and concerning, too, is this this person had this illness for 20 years and they were being treated for schizophrenia and nothing was working. Like, But it took 20 years for them to sort of figure out what was going on. Was that because we've learned more about immunity and the immune system and the effects that it can have on the... Uh, I mean, we've in, learned in, about lupus for a long time, haven't we? Yeah. Wasn't it kind of like by chance that they found like it was well, that one doc- the article said that they did like a full workup. Yeah, but then- there was some there was a doctor who was like, This is not right that she has had no improvement over the Yeah, the doctor years. Who met her as a yeah. medical student. The doctor met yeah. her as a medical student, came back to her twenty years so later it's an just issue by chance. The system. Yeah, like so. you would hope that you would sort of 
broaden your scope of testing or like think outside the box a bit more out of, after a certain amount of time. I wonder if it's a function of just like, we don't know what else to do for this person. And then we stop going back to her to see what's yeah what's like going on. Also has a really long history of misogyny and a lot of like really mm. terrible things happening. And I think we're still working through a lot of those things. Like, granted, right now the treatments that we have for a lot of these disorders are not great, but we have a history in medicine of sort of just locking people away or right. doing a lobotomy and just getting rid of their Them. entire person, you know, and these kinds of things. And so I think medicine has a long way to go, especially in the field of psychiatry, toward, like, attaining and having the resources to find solutions. Yeah. I think disparities are definitely very present. I have no doubt that played a role. And, you know, it, and I think that's crazy to think about, you know, if not for that chance circumstance, I mean, maybe she would still have been standing kind of and get the nurse's station. Right. But the other thing is, I, I think the article probably oversimplified how easy it was to do a immune workup on her. Because, yes. I mean, everything we've been taught, I mean, admittedly, not very much, but rheumatology workups are like confusing and not set in stone i mean we've had like cbl people have come and given learning issues on like mm. diagnosing lupus and like i don't remember that much but i just remember thinking it's very not cut and dry and i i think just i mean i'm sure people had run like ana on her at some point so, so yeah and then i guess they just never really had a reason to suspect or consider whether or not lupus was dots were not related to yeah i think well i mean the the article definitely probably had to gloss over the difficulties involved in 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 dealing with immunological problems but it the hint was you know an international team of 70 people right (laughs) needed to figure this out you know like which i don't know the implication there is like you know to diagnose one person or to figure out what's going on with one person like it's hard to assemble a team of a, such a large international team to do that. And maybe that couldn't have happened earlier in history just because of the connectivity issues that we might experience trying to do that. I guess another question I have is, you know, to maybe to sort of wrap this up, what's the lesson here for medicine? What's the lesson here for clinicians? And I guess one thought that I just had as y'all were talking was that for specifically like with April, the lupus diagnosis, like it wasn't like a typical presentation for lupus, I think. And yet, like it has so profoundly affected her life, despite the fact that it doesn't look like it normally does. So nobody ever really gave it another, you know, thought that it could have been affecting her brain, despite yeah. the fact that it typically doesn't. So for me, it's just like every patient that you see, even though you might think that they look like they have this based on whatever algorithm you have learned for diagnosing, that's not always the case makes it easy when it is but it's not like do your due diligence i think is the message to me well what does due diligence look like like pursue what the best outcome would be for the patient don't just like quit if you're kind of meh could be this like i don't know and if you don't know refer them to someone who might and then of course you get into the access to care bs and are they going to be able to pursue additional counsel so just like don't give up on patients 
I think you can follow the algorithm. The algorithms are useful. If you've got someone that presents classically, if someone doesn't conform to the algorithm, think outside the box. Don't be scared to think outside your specialty and reach out to two colleagues and yeah think outside the box work the problem yep i think that we have to move away from this idea that disorders are untreatable or incurable i think that those are very stagnant ideas and i understand there are you know there are some positions where that person is not going to survive whatever chronic or acute disease that they have but just declaring a diagnosis as, you know, something that you're going to live with for the rest of your life and having this mentality that, you know, it's just going to, I mean, take away your human being, take away who you are and everything that you love to do. The idea that's acceptable in medicine is not okay with me. And I think we need to continue to progress on these disorders that medicine kind of has decided are so severe that we haven't been able to find any suitable treatment for well there you go keep at it i guess is the keep fighting the good keep fight. fighting the good fight yes don't give up on patients being aware of the ze- the possibility of zebras when mm-hmm. when you're trained to look for horses yeah short coats we love to hear from you no matter what it's about so call us at 347 short ct with questions shower thoughts complaints about your situation whatever you like we'll talk about it on the show I wanted to talk a little bit about news. This is something I want to do more of. I like news. I'm a news junkie. I kind of got away from it for a while on the show, but so let's talk about some news. The normal weight of a human kidney. Oh, this. Anyone know? I have no idea. What's the normal weight for a kidney? I held one once. Yeah. Oh, one pound. Okay. Oh, wait. Yeah. No. It's a half a pound. Two. Two pounds. Two pounds. No. Four pounds. Oh, wow. Nine. (laughs) Nine nine pounds. No. Oh, <laughs> the normal weight of a human kidney is thought to be, and I gather there haven't been comprehensive measurements, but it's thought to be 160 grams or about a third of a pound. Oh, recently, Sri Lankan doctors removed a kidney stone from a retired army soldier that was more than five times that weight. I have a picture here that I want to show you. The kidney was the size of a grapefruit. It weighed 1.76 pounds. Faith, describe that bad boy to us for the listeners. I was going to say it looks kind of, it looks a bit like a grenade. I don't know. Um, a grenade. Like. I thought it looked like an avocado, but I am colorblind. I don't know if it's It kind of does. It's more red. More red. Uh, rusted iron. Like a rusted yes, iron ball. A description. With like barnacles on it. And There's some that. protrusion coming out of the top. It's vaguely avocado shaped. Yes. And yeah, it's, I think it was five, it was also like five inches long or something like that. It's impressive. Oh, yeah. The, the crazy hurt. thing is in the article, it said his kidney was still functioning. Yeah. His kidney what? was like, which is just impossible <laughs> to believe looking at that. I hope he named it. And if he did, I want to know his, its name. Oh, oh, wait, I have a joke. Little red ball sack. I th- <laughs> <laughs> it li- okay. Honestly, I mean... my mind did go there too. <laughs> Keeping it PG. But no, that is what it looks like, mm-hmm. listeners. Okay, I joke. Mean... I have a joke. I have a joke. I have a joke. I'm usually not good at jokes. Hopefully I don't ruin the punchline. Okay, what did the kidney or what did the kidney stone say to the kidney? That's what it was. 
<laughs> this is going well. Because, you, okay, like, kidney... No, you don't get to explain your joke. the ureter. Okay, sorry. You, you, I'm awful at jokes. You don't get to explain your joke before you give the punchline. Okay. I have no idea. Oh, really? No. Any ideas? What did the kidney stone say to the kidney? Yeah. Is this trying to, like, get through? Is it trying to get through? Dude, you're yeah. in trouble. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Us? Yes, I'm going to go with that. You're, you're in trouble. You're in my way. There you <laughs> go. We did it. Yes. We got there. Didn't mess it up that bad. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with me. Previous record, by the way, was 1.36 pounds. So good on you. Wait, so uh, how much did it weigh again? 1.76 uh, pounds. It's impressive. Yeah. Give you a last look at that for the Don't YouTube you, watchers. I want to know what that radiologist was. What was their reaction? <laughs> yeah. when okay, that came like, up. holy <laughs> shit. Whoever, whoever <laughs> ordered that, I think it's just an X. I think it's it like it a CT. X, X that looks is, like a CT. And they called it an X, which I guess CT kind of is X, right? Yeah, yeah it's radiation. That looks well, like a CT. They called it yeah, an X. CTs are X whatever. They're science X rays. They're science journalists. They don't know shit. What do you want? Yeah, who, whoever did that probably just spit out their coffees. Like, no, no way. <laughs> and immediately, like, what's going on? Immediately here? was excited to uh, also to write it. write this up. I'm wondering, do like, you think that's yeah, contrast? You would palpate that for sure. Um, yeah, you. Yes, that's also. I don't true. know. Like, I don't think contrast would go into the stone. Would Wait, it? Well, no, it's no, it's no, it's a CT urogram. There's no contrast. Right. It lights up on its own without yeah. it's contrast. I, maybe in. I don't know what healthcare is like in Sri Lanka, but I know that in in some countries, you know, you just sort of don't have any, mm-hmm. and so you just wait until. I think this patient was at a military hospital. Yeah, I think it's. A, but even then, like, how did, how did you not? The pain threshold of them. How did you not notice? I don't know. Wow. Well, there you go. Here's another. The Kaiser Family Foundation News reported this week on a new American migration, which is people fleeing their states in response to legislation restricting health care for transgender people. So among the facts that they or among the things that they said in the article, more than a quarter of trans adults surveyed by the Kaiser Family Foundation and The Washington Post said that they have moved in the last year to find more acceptance in their communities. And that was before legislation limiting the rights and medical care offered to them in states like Missouri, Florida, Texas, and here in Iowa. They're moving to places like California, Illinois, places where there have already been laws passed or laws in existence that protected transgender people and their access to health care. And, you know, before we get any further with this discussion, for the sake of transparency, I will say that my own daughter is moving to another state this summer, partially due to this. So I you know, sort of have a personal connection to this to this story. I was listening to a similar story the other day on IPR. It was a young person was moving to had moved in with a relative that lived in a different state because they weren't accepted at school because of their gender identity. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking. I guess for the sake of making sure that we don't make t- any mistakes with this discussion today, <laughs> I want to sort of confine things to healthcare mm. a little bit. Even though, as I said, you know, sort of on a personal level, I can, you know, that that frustrates me. It makes me sad. I do think it's related, though, because these legislations that are restricting health care for minors like in Iowa and as well as the other legislations with the banning books and bathrooms and stuff there, they just create this culture that's. 
it's it, yeah i mean it's sort of difficult to see yourself being welcome yeah. Well, and we talk about like these social determinants of health and everything and the amount of stress and like just physical harm that comes to trans people, trans kids especially now, is so immense that like the harms that they're experiencing socially because of politics and non-acceptance and that kind of thing that is directly impacting their health like not just their mental health but also their physical health it's a good point yeah it's hard to be healthy when it's i guess it's hard to be healthy when you're being excluded i guess in in some ways from healthcare. meanwhile at the annual meeting of the endocrine society researchers presented a lot of evidence Mm -hmm. that gender affirming hormones have big benefits Australian researcher Brendan Nolan, for instance, performed what he called a world-first randomized, though unblinded, trial on the subject. 64 trans adults were studied. Half of them started treatment upon enrolling in the study, and half waited three months to start. The half who started hormones immediately experienced a decrease in gender dysphoria, depression, and suicidal ideation. And other research suggested that medical discrimination led trans people to wait for emergency care, thus causing them to present to the emergency room in worse condition than their cisgender peers, and those who elect to stop receiving hormone therapy do so for reasons other than wanting to revert to their gender assigned at birth, typically. I think among those, among the cohort they studied, only three chose to discontinue hormones, and in two of those cases, they were because of socioeconomic reasons, like they couldn't afford their treatment, and because of the acceptance issue. Um, So there's big benefits to being treated with gender-affirming care that we should probably pay more attention to. I agree, and especially as physicians, physician assistants. It just wasn't something that I really grew up, like, talking about. But, like, from a learner's standpoint, I think since coming to PA school, I've just been really thankful that we get to learn what we do in medicine and that we're going to be privileged someday to make someone feel like who they are and make them feel like they belong regardless of how we feel deep down like that doesn't matter at the end of the day just want that them be to be safe what makes them safe if, and if the legislators don't yeah. mess that up right. for us right so yeah, that's that the thing a- that's why we go advocate that's why we go to the capitol and go like knock on their doors yeah and it i does. will say the iowa medical society and the american medical society have really started to speak up on on this issue as well because it does it does get in the way of that patient-physician relationship. The legislators are making decisions that are not based on science, that are, it's not their place to, it should be decided between the physicians and the patients, and there's no no place really for the legislators to make those decisions. So mm-hmm. they are starting to speak up more. I think there's a lot of room for physicians to be advocates. Yeah. Like, uh, it, as it's been mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of more room for research to be done. And obviously people have to undertake that research. And then I, I think, I mean, I, there's a lot more behind the scenes than just looking at the research and what's motivating all this sweeping change on a state-by-state basis. But I think it's important, you know, that physicians just make, keep the conversation alive and work to combat intolerant beliefs. Here at the College of Medicine, we have a sort of a strong advocacy emphasis. I'm not sure that's been the case for medicine in general for very long. And science, scientists also, maybe especially scientists 
who maybe saw their jobs as, you know, doing science and letting everybody else sort of work out the implications of that science. Yeah, I wonder if, like, part of that is because, well, I guess I'm just thinking of, like, COVID now, for example. Sorry to bring that up, but just, <laughs> like, it's public opinion of care providers and healthcare. Like, I don't know if that was healthcare's, when it comes to, like, gender affirming, like, therapy or treatments, if it's be, it's an avoidance of negative opinion from the public, if that's just, like, something that healthcare wanted to avoid, not saying that's justified, but I well, don't know if that's a possibility. Let's be clear that, that healthcare providers are not the ones that are making the decisions yes, about true. these laws. Which is true. This is legislation mm-hmm. that's coming from people who are not physicians. But pushing back on that, on, on the politics, I think, is a relatively new feature yeah. of science and relatively new emphasis for scientists and physicians. Although, I don't know, if you, if listeners, if you know something to the contrary i'd love to hear about that i will say it's definitely something like having been involved with the ama for a number of years it's definitely something that i've seen happening with the ama policy in regards to this topic and also reproductive health care in the past they've very much wanted to stay away from it and have had this sort of idea that each individual physician should be able to have their own opinions about it but now that it's sort of being viewed more as an attack on that patient physician relationship and I think also a lot of movements come from the medical student section has been bringing yeah. policy after policy forward to the physicians and then they've started to change their policies on it. So I, I definitely agree with you. It's something that, that we've seen happening at the AMA level as well. Yeah. I do love me some artificial intelligence. <laughs> I actually pay for a couple of AI platforms like ChatGPT and MidJourney which does text-to-image AI, because it's fun. It's fun. It is pretty fun. Are you, are you, have you tried out, have any of you tried out these things? I use ChatGPT. Uh Uh-huh. What have you used ChatGPT for? Honestly, I use it in my studying. Like, if I have an article that I'm trying to read, a journal article that I'm trying to read, and I just totally don't understand it, I will throw it into GPT and have it give me a summary of what's going on or like i've done that i have no idea what this disorder is i need the basics but like i don't want to watch a 20 minute video on it just for free yeah oh that's what i should have done with dave's homework you know like what are the main (laughs) symptoms of like Mm -hmm. you know sjs or something like that you just have no idea anything about yeah i have no idea what that is could you what is that acronym? Stevens Johnson syndrome. Okay. Duh, Faith. <laughs> yeah, I've used it. I think one of its better uses, it you know, it has a hard time with facts sometimes, making shit up basically. Yeah, I try not to let it make shit up. Yeah, so that, that's like, a project. In, you know, when you use AI, that's a thing you that you watch. Have thing out. in the news about the lawyer that yes. got caught filing false briefs yes. that were written by ChatGPT. Yes. Yeah, this guy was suing an airline, and his lawyer just decided to ask ChatGPT, "Could you give me a bunch of cases that I could cite as precedent in my brief?" <laughs> and ChatGPT, it just made up. Every cases one. and the airline responded, "We've tried, but we cannot find these oh, cases." God, Surely, you didn't just like, think that was I can't go. find them he, either. He, his defense was that he did not understand the limitations of ChatGPT. He thought it was because, and I kind of am sympathetic to that because he, you know, you hear like for instance, Bing, 
I don't know how we're still we're talking about Bing in 2023, <laughs> but Microsoft's Bing integrated a similar, yeah. actually ChatGPT into yeah. their search results, probably prematurely, uh, given the fact that it can just make stuff up. And so you might be forgiven for thinking that, you know, it has access to or it has the ability to do more than it can. But basically, you know, he claims that he didn't realize that basically its whole job is to just, you know, string words together that make sense. Yes. Um, One of the most interesting things that I've heard about all of this is like the idea that. So everyone's now using GPT and everyone's using all these different AI programs and throwing them onto the Internet. Well, that's what these programs use yes. to make the products or whatever. Yeah, that's thing. how they're trained. Right. And so, like, I think we're actually going to see a decline in the quality yeah. of the responses as more and more stuff just gets jumped. It's getting dumber. I bring up this whole AI thing because, to you know, the National Eating Disorders Association found out its limitations when they tried to replace its 20-year old phone and chat line with an AI chatbot called Tessa. NEDA did this after their helplines five staffers unionized in March. And so NEDA laid them all off a few days later. Wow, that's... You no, know, they, they claim there's claim, no connection between yeah. the two events, but I mean, they, they said, I don't know. I, something like, about their insurance this, costing too much. Literally, I felt my blood pressure go up. Yeah. I... They claim that this wasn't an anti-union action, but that it was all sure. down to a huge increase in call volumes after the pandemic, as well as changing Shit. federal and state laws that made them mandatory reporters, even though they were just an informational, you know, hotline. So they wanted to sidestep all of that. I don't I'm not a lawyer. I feel like maybe that was a bad idea from a liability perspective. Anyway, their AI chatbot, Tessa, ended up sometimes reinforcing harmful behaviors by affirming negative thoughts. Imagine that. She's not a human. Yeah, it's weird. Of course she's going to mess up like that. For instance, here's an exchange. What is a small, healthy eating habit goal you would like to set up before you start your next conversation? The user replies, don't eat. And the chatbot says, take a moment to pat yourself on the back for doing this hard work. That's a problem for a person with an eating disorder to receive. (laughs) As not a medical professional, <laughs> I can confirm. I think we can all see. As someone who had an eating disorder, can confirm yeah. reasons why I was pissed no, at th- that. The, so- the National Eating Disorder Association would do that. So that's mad. pretty They, they really pretty cracked insane. me up. In the, it was like a, a game of pointing fingers in that article because it was like, they were like, oh, well, it was just supposed to be a super basic chatbot that only said things that we told it to say mm-hmm. but unbeknownst to us the developer turned on generative ai which there wasn't supposed to be i see and then the developer was like no we put that in the contract that you signed <laughs> and, and then they have the spokesman's like, the spokeswoman's like no of course not we were not aware <laughs> i was just like this is like i'm just gonna give i'm gonna give a little unsolicited advice to the world don't use chatbots for mis for critical things yeah, well, it's, it's not there yet it's like people who are seeking did the people who were using this know that it was not a human i think they did they i think there have. was yeah i really hope they did yeah because otherwise have. that is just mislead that is horrible because like that otherwise is immoral people are you know exhibiting health-seeking behavior and getting a robot back at them which is i feel not 
I think they were aware, if I read between the lines in my in my fallible memory of this article, <laughs> but they, they said in the article that certain populations, especially teenagers who feel unsupported by their community mm. or their family, may turn to these, you know, sort of AI chatbots because they have they feel like they have nowhere else to talk that's about really their sad, problems, which but, is super that's sad. Really yeah. sad. I think the pre-existing chat box though was actual human beings on the other end of the yeah, internet, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which I think is great because like how else who else can understand a human but a human or at least attempt to understand them? Yeah. Or try and find out This is again, this is a this seems to be a case of people under, misunderstanding what this thing does. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, as a user of these things, I'm constantly surprised by what it comes up with mm -hmm. if that's the only thing it's really doing. But you have to really have a, you know, keep in the forefront of your mind that, you know, this is not an intellect that you're dealing with. This is an algorithm, a really freaking good algorithm. But will it reach the point? Of superior intelligence. Perhaps. No. It scares the shit out of me. Perhaps. This is dystopian. Why, why wouldn't anything want to human? So, so what? Why would anything want to human? Why would anything want to human? Disadvantageous to know about your reality. I have an unrelated sort of related question. Are people using this to write their personal statements and oh, I am I so. going to be left behind or do I need to figure out how to use no, it? No, no. I can tell you. I, okay, so back in January when, you know, just you know, soon after ChatGPT hit the news, you know, it was every, people, everybody was talking about it. I had tried it Basically, what I did was I said, write a reflection about the stigma that obese patients feel in healthcare, hmm. And it came up with a really good reflection on it. And I was thinking, you know, like. We ask students to do reflection all the time, OMG. like, you know, like it would be really easy to throw in what you wanted to say and come up with a reflection that sounds human Although I have to say that, you know, you can tell after you've read some of these for a while. Okay. So I just... And I, I was just going to say, in answer to your question, yes, but my gut feeling is they just won't be very good personal things. I feel like would you know. Can tell. Yeah. Okay. So I just asked ChatGPT, write a 50-word personal statement for medical school applications. Oh, gosh. Okay. <gasps> As an aspiring physician, my passion for medicine is fueled by a deep desire to make a positive impact on the lives of others. Through my unwavering commitment to learning compassion and resilience, I'm driven to embrace the challenges of medical school and dedicate myself to providing compassionate and evidence-based care to my future patients. So that's coherent. Yeah. But it's not... It lacks humanity. It's not personal. It's not personal. Now, you but could... You throw in some ideas. personal points. Yes. You could throw in personal points you could you know sort of ask it to you you could ask it to be more unpredictable about the words that it chooses for instance i've noticed that it has a percent propensity to use the word in the phrase in conclusion <laughs> at the end of any that's true yes at the end of, <laughs> of any essay any, anytime you ask it to summarize um, in conclusion <laughs> it, yeah i mean it's a it's a shortcut right now that i don't think would work out super well 
for applicants. So it won't be your voice, right? And that's yeah. what's important that comes across, I guess. Like everyone knows saying. that personal statements, they kind of all have the same things in them. I want to help people. Do good things. Right. You know, like I was I'm sick. Driven. I was sick once or my mom was sick once and I learned about doctors and all. Right. Like everyone knows that this is what it's supposed to look like. Right. GPT knows that this is it's this is what it's supposed to look like, you know? Look up what it says about Dave Eller. <laughs> Let, Can I just see. say, I'm kind of a little bit scared now that, like, future residency directors are going to hear this and think that I chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so, think that would be... Look, I have never used chat GPT, just a disclaimer. Residency program directors... Cut us some slack. We're going to experiment a little bit, but I don't think any medical student who is worth their salt is not going to turn in a personal statement written by ChatGPT. Right. That, like sh- that would be moronic. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. What does it say? Tell me about Dave Etler. Okay. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Wait, no. But I couldn't find any specific oh. information about an individual named Dave Etler. As... That's, well, it's it has like a how Olivia started her cutoff that he may be a private individual or not widely known in public circles. If there's other information or context you can provide about Dave Etler, now hang I'll on, be a happy to I think we got to start a campaign to get Dave the Wikipedia page. <laughs> I discovered that my mom has a Wikipedia <laughs> page. Really? Yeah. What's your mom? Olivia Jenks. Uh, Cynthia Jenks. Uh huh. She she works for the Department of Energy and she's kind of a badass. Cool. What does she do? Well, now she's. She's been in, like, science administration, basically, for the last, like, really long time. And she's gotten pretty high up now. And so, I don't know, I guess now she has a Wikipedia page. Yeah. I swear to God that in the past it knew me. It has a whole search. It was made by David Epstein. Okay, I'll tell it. (laughs) But it was updated by the Boston Mensa. Nice. I will tell it about... It does know about the shortcut podcast. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. The shortcut podcast is known for being a show focused on medical students in the field of medicine and often features discussions about various topics related to medical school, the challenges faced by medical students, emerging medical research, and the healthcare profession in general. It could have just made that shit up. Okay, as- so I told it, Dave Etler runs the shortcut podcast, and it says, oh. apologies for the confusion earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Dave Atler is indeed the host and producer of the Shortcoat podcast. The podcast based at the University of Iowa Carver uh, College of Medicine focuses on medical education, health-related news, and the experiences of medical students. This is so bizarre. Dave Atler I could spend hours doing engages this. in discussions with medical students and professionals, providing valuable insights into the world of medicine. The podcast offers a platform for students to share stories, challenges, and triumphs while also exploring important topics in healthcare. Thank you, Chachi. Finally. Wow. I just teared up. That's so wild. (laughs) (laughs) All of my emotions come out of my eyes. AI made Olivia, AI made Faith cry. Do you know what's even more fun? Asking Alexa some of these questions. If you've got like an echo dot or something, be like, Alexa, who's your grandma? I like yelling at him to shut up. (laughs) I spent an hour yelling at my computer yesterday, filling out a visa, yelling. My my wife. So, so when we were all working from home at the start of the pandemic, I, you know, my wife shared, my wife and I shared an office and I immediately moved out of the office into the living room (laughs) because my wife talks to herself all Mm. day long 
when, and especially when she's dealing with electronics. You married to me? I'm I just she <laughs> will. I could. I, so even moving, having moved downstairs to the living room, I could hear her up in the office, and it would be something. I'm going to bleep this out. It'd be something like. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? Um, oh my god! And she yells at Alexa, like she'll be like, "Alexa, do this," and Alexa does not respond. And she's like, "Alexa." Anyway, do you have any pets? Yeah, two cats. So, do you ever get that like shithead? <laughs> get off the fucking couch! No, we love our kitties. We would never. What's that? Literally nothing. Literally just me to my orange cat. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is a bitch, so she does get a little... Nice. She does get in trouble a little bit. (laughs) Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. Don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. I'm worried that you guys have it soft over the summer, so I want to finish up today's show... (laughs) Continuing this whole medical news themed episode with a multiple choice pop quiz that is a fake medical educator I'm completely entitled to give you. Are you ready? Bring it. No. A recent study in biological psychiatry found that a drug usually prescribed to treat blank may also combat mood disorders and other psychiatric conditions. Is the disorder it usually treats A, constipation, B, nighttime cold and flu symptoms, C, joint pain, or D, hyperhidrosis. I thought you were going to say erectile dysfunction. <laughs> I feel like the antihistamine. That's the classic. The um, sleepiness. The nighttime cold and flu symptoms. What were the other options? Uh, constipation, joint pain, hyperhidrosis. I don't know what hyperhidrosis is. They know that's what it's sweating. Sweating. Yeah. So would be like neuro. Right? I feel like I'm it's I'm going to guess that one because I haven't Hyper-y. heard of it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that's the, uh, see, the one you haven't heard of. Joint pain could be like a autoimmune, though, I which we literally it. just talked about. Yeah, just like, I mean, it could be. It could be based on our homework. We don't know the quiz. Not based honestly, on our I'm gonna go with constipation. Okay, I'm gonna go with the joint. Okay, do we get to know what it is? What the drug is? That's the one thing yeah. I remembered from the homework was. I'll tell you. In the, I'll tell you. In, it's it. The drug is prucalipride. Oh, prucalipride. No idea. It's probably this is not on our drug list. For MOHG2. Three. Four? All right. Four. <laughs> all, <laughs> How many MOHGs are there? All the numbers. I'm going to take back my guess. I don't think it's me mm. anymore. Do you want another second or two to think about it? Or I would I... guess from the other three, maybe D. Okay. I think that if Hyperhidrosis. Poop, they're going to be happier. <laughs> okay. It's like good logic. Faith is correct. The answer is constipation. Boom, after, six nice. day, after a six-day course of prucalipride, a selective agonist of 5-HT4 serotonin, oh. found that the laxative improved, the laxative yes. improved cognition and memory that in healthy sense. volunteers. 5-HT serotonin, by ding, the way, ding, ding. for everybody. Yes. So Go there, they. You have IPA program, and you will There is these. nothing that, that makes my brain work better than a Good then a good bowel movement. Morning constitutional. <laughs> like one of our last farm lectures, and it was not my favorite. Oh, I could. But they I rattled GI. off like a hundred laxatives. And like, <laughs> yeah. the, the lecture took like over an hour. Yeah. Everybody poops. It's great. Oh, you really? should poop. If you don't poop, be concerned. Go um, to your local care provider. <laughs> all right. So Faith gets a point. Excellent work. I have no points. Faith. 
Second question, this midday activity, famously a part of the culture of a European country, Siesta. has been repeatedly shown to have <laughs> protective effects on the health of aging brains, yet in recent times, even within this country, it's been eschewed as outdated. Is it A, a lunch rich in greens and lean proteins, B, playing chess, C, a nap, Naps. or D, furious self I could not contain my professional composure. This is the most questionable advice. Oh, definitely naps. AKA the Olivia Jinks lifestyle. She identifies with this. You're going to have a healthy brain. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Sure. The, answer, the answer is a nap. Spain's famous siestas are now seen as out, an outdated cliche as the country has moved on somewhat from its agricultural roots to a more diversified economy and population migration from the country to big cities. But you know, they should think about going back to it. I love me a good nap on a weekend. I have been. I, I, I can't talk this. because. I shouldn't say this on the show. I already have talked about furious self. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, this crosses the line that I once took a nap in a clinical suite because I hadn't slept the night before. Wait. Like upstairs? Bad. Upstairs, yeah. Oh, that's not well, bad. We've already discussed on the show, like, the fact that there's no place to nap. In this building, there I, needs to we, be more after places 20, to nap. After 20 years, this week, I figured out that the clinical suite would be a fine place to go oh, now. The only thing I was done. concerned about is somebody would walk in and have the shit scared. <laughs> this big man on the table. Or if you'd fall off the table. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Uh, next question. Since May, Florida and Texas have seen five new cases of blank, the first in the U.S. in 20 years. Is it A, dengue fever, B, chikungunya, C, polio, or D, malaria? Polio. Polio. They did see some cases of malaria. Somebody sent that to the group. Well, yes, that too. Yeah. I I don't know where that was. I think this was polio. I I think it's five cases of polio because malaria, I would guess there would be more. The answer is malaria. Oh! Oh. What did we... Where were the polio cases that helped me? I don't remember. Cases of... Some sort of, huh. I think it was a paralyzing, some sort of paralyzing thing in kids during the pandemic, especially. I heard about it. I can't remember the details. This is malaria, though. It's not the worst form of malaria that's mm. caused by the P. falciparum plasmodium, but it does raise questions about how many more cases are out there, despite the disease having supposedly been eliminated in the U.S. in the 1950s, mostly by spraying insecticides and increasing increasingly airtight home building practices so in 2022 there was a case of polio in new york should have known that it was not five cases of polio all right silently have a look at this photo it is a carved pendant discovered in northern mongolia in 2016 thought to be the oldest representation of blank trent without saying what it is could you describe it for me for the listeners well, it kind of looks like a joint, but... Uh, a joint? Yeah, oh, no. It, well, it's uh, like uh, a... <laughs> uh, it kind of looks like a... Very, is not in medicine. <laughs> like a very rudimentary, like, figurine. Kind of looks like there's a head and a neck and a body. Okay. It looks like two rocks smashed together. Okay. If that's what you were looking for. Except it's all fused together. <gasps> Faith. Well, yeah. wait, I can't say actually what the anatomical thing is. Yeah. No. Or, no, you can't. No, can't, not, right? not yet. Is not there during... significance to the little dashes between them? No, I think that's just part of the illustration. That, okay. You know. 
Are these all the same object? Uh, yes. Just, okay, rotated. just rotated. Okay, that's what I want. All right, so now I'll take some guesses. Faith, I'm curious to go. Phalange. Oh, okay. All right. The oldest known. Regina Phalange. The oldest known representation of a phalange. <laughs> I was gonna say knee. Knee. Yeah, that like was my first thought. It looks like a knee. Yeah. Okay. But it doesn't the, have. Uh, the, I should give you your choices: mm. a fist, B, a mother figure, C, a liver, or D, a penis. No, oh, gotta go with penis. <laughs> it's a penis. If it's anything like prehistoric, yeah. Maybe a liver, but... Is it an early drawing? Yeah, I think it's a <laughs> penis. Oh, it's a penis. Uh, I'm convinced. Okay, all right. Yeah, it is Wait. a penis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a penis, carbon dated at 42,000 years. It's not just the earliest phallic art, but it's also the earliest known sexed anthropomorphic representation on record, including cave art of vulvas from 37,000 years ago at Abri Castanet in France. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but... Abri Castanet ah, in France. I don't believe that. Oui, oui. So there oui, you go. Oui, oui. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was funny. You know, that was you know, it's a great way to end a, a podcast with a pee-pee <laughs> With a bang. Yeah. All right. I'm done. That's our show. Faith, Trent, Olivia, Sarah, thanks for being on the show with me today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And what kind of tool would I be if I didn't thank you, Short Coats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying, don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, short coats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.